my name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach and I'm your host. Today's episode is about managing stress and burnout in IT and cybersecurity. 2020 was one of the worst years ever for cyber attacks, and it only got worse over the last few months with large-scale compromises in SolarWinds Orion and Microsoft Exchange Server, just to name a few. We talked to Chris Lower, the Executive Vice President of Austin, Texas-based Solo Security, about how he keeps his employees fresh, and he offers advice for internal IT departments to manage their stress as well. Before we get to that interview, here's a quick reminder that the My Tech Assistance podcast is available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions for your organization. And now, here's Chris Lohr. So it's been a pretty rough few few months. So uh, how are you guys doing on a human level? I mean, I mean, we're doing good. I mean, I think for us, we've, you know, so one of the things that we do a lot is we lean on others in these types of situations as well, right? So, uh, I mean, we obviously, when people call us with issues that we've never dealt with before, obviously we, we help them and, and we take control of those situations. Uh, but the one thing that we try to avoid, and 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 this is one of the reasons why, is just putting people on planes or trains or buses or whatever you have to do these COVID times. But even prior to COVID, we really didn't do a lot of that, only when it was necessary. And then we relied on, you know, local, we have a what I call a good trusted network of usually MSPs that we can kind of lean on to say, okay, hey, can you guys get somebody on site fairly quickly? Uh, we'll tell you what to do. We'll instruct you, but you guys can kind of do it. And then we we help. Then we let them manage the staffing there. So if they have multiple people, they can run them in shifts and everything like that. So we're not swinging a crew down there and saying, okay, you guys got to sit there for 72 hours straight and get the job done and then come back. So um, that's helpful. But I mean, it's been a it's been busy. I mean, there's no way to beat around the bush as far as what the heck is going on out there as far as all these types of attacks, whether they're email compromise, uh, ransomware, or this, you know, this zero day vulnerability proxy log on stuff. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. What are, what are stress levels like, you know, have you noticed, uh, you know, um, an increase, you know, since, uh, you know, exchange server proxy log on and, you know, solar winds uh, came about? Yeah, so the solar winds really didn't affect us too much. I think what we had with solar winds was a lot of people uh, didn't really understand that. So let's just take a lot of clients who um, 
you know, didn't really have an issue, but they had a lot of questions around it. And, yeah. you know, if you had other SolarWinds products out there, uh, and they have a lot, right? They, you know, SolarWinds has the traditional legacy SolarWinds stuff, and then they had the SolarWinds MSP, which they've rebranded to Enable now. Uh, but, you you know, you did have to do a lot of explaining on that, but it was good. It was kind of an educational moment, too, to, you know, basically explain what this whole concept of supply chain attack is. I mean, you can kind of say it to them all the time, but now you have some big item in the news that you can reference. So it kind of sticks a little bit better when you talk to them about that. So help them understand supply chain risk. And then the other side of it is, um, you know, on the exchange stuff, that's a, you know, that was a different story, right? So the exchange was something that was relevant to everybody. And I think the one thing that was interesting from the exchange part, in my perspective is a lot of people that either I knew of or came to us or whatever the case may be, had really good rock solid security controls in place, right? But when you have a zero day situation like this, and I really say that's a kind of a poor description, I think it's more like a negative 45 day, uh, <laughs> what it really should be called, right? Or whatever that time frame is. Um, the people that have invested a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in their security programs, and this happens to them, especially like on a business side, I'm not talking about technical people, it kind of freaks them out. And so I would say that that kind of added, you know, first of all, the sheer volume is one thing, uh, but the actual kind of talking with those people, and they pretty much, you know, every night sleep well because they believe they had security licked, and then this stuff happens, and it happens with Microsoft, and and um, you know, for them, it was it was pretty tough. And the other thing about this is, is up front, we didn't have all the answers. No one did, right? You know, we, we were we were relying upon Microsoft, and we were relying upon others in the incident response and cybersecurity community to come through and say, okay, this is what we found, or this is what we're seeing, or this is what we're not seeing, and those types of things. And I think that unknown. Uh, that that sense of the unknown is really what probably stressed people out a lot because a lot of times ransomware cases, as an example, you kind of know what happened, especially if you know the ransomware variant, you could say, well, these guys probably got in this way and they probably did this and they've probably been in there for 10 to 30 days or whatever that dwell time is, whatever you want to call it. But with the, but with this one, there was so much unknowns and so many people were wanting explanations right away. So many people were wanting, you know, hey, look, are you going to do some forensics? Yes. Well, will you give us the answers about it tomorrow? No, that's not how it works. Um, you know, there wasn't even an idea up front about everything that we had to collect. Right. So, you know, you had to kind of start very large and, you know, start looking for needles in that very large haystack. And after time, you could will that haystack down. But, you know, so at the front, when you at the beginning and I know, a lot of people don't know, probably exchange is one of the most uh, log heavy platforms out there. It's got more logs, especially the front facing exchange server with IS. I mean, you got all that stuff. And so you're having just the collection of that stuff takes a while. And then the processing of that stuff takes a while. And then the verification of what you process takes a while. And so, yeah, it was just an overall kind of difficult situation for everybody, whether you were on the response side or you're on the victim side. Um, it was, yeah, you could tell that the stress levels were there. The anxiety was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The longing for answers very quickly was, was definitely there. Yeah. Do you, do you remember when, um, you know, new, that news first broke about that? I mean, I do. It's, I mean, that, that 
period of time is is a blur but i yeah. do remember <laughs> i do remember it coming out and a lot of people didn't know outside the security community didn't really know who hafnium was and still to this day we see people asking questions and they'll say hey we've we've been we've been ransomware by um we've been ransomware by hafnium and that's not the case uh so you know um and also i mean i personally think that um you know trying to figure out the who is a difficult part in these situations i mean hafnium with its chinese ties and then whatever other groups came in there you know most of the time if you're not in if you're not attached to this security world i mean it's easy to say two words china or russia yeah, and that's explain true. those nation states and it's possible that Brian, but a lot of times i mean these are groups that are independent of that and so some not only are you having to, to work the uh, issue at the same time you're trying to have to say hey look don't jump to conclusions even though what they've read in the media or whatever may hint towards that so yeah but i do remember it yeah and what it was, was there was there like an like an oh shit moment <laughs> or yeah so you know on that zero day stuff so like you know over the last six or seven months maybe let's just say 12 months there's been a number of zero day firewall vulnerabilities as well right yeah. and so the thing about those firewall vulnerabilities was hey you got to get them done somebody's going to exploit them but it's probably not going to be right away right and that that held true right we you know we now see things happen with people that didn't patch their firewalls back then and they're finally getting their taken advantage of in the sense of exchange and just how much press that it got, right? Just immediately people started yeah. talking about all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, you were definitely saying, oh, shit, here comes a wave. Yeah. And here comes a different type of wave than we've ever seen before. Yeah, so um, other than leading uh, on um, other other providers, um, I know Microsoft, I'm sure CISA has been kind of a guiding light for you guys. Um, you know, what, what else are you doing to keep guys fresh and uh, kind of, you know, reduce burnout? Yeah, so, um, you know, so we're very mindful of it. So one of the things that we do from the beginning, whether whatever situation it is, especially if it's one where it's involved in a firefight, we're usually on a, on a call with both the victim and ourselves. And so one of the things that we always say is, look, there is a tendency for IT people, whether you have an MSP or you have an internal IT or even us, to have people just jump in and go at it and without taking a break or without doing anything. And that sounds like the right thing, but those guys are – you know, those guys and girls, but let's just be frank, the majority have been in this industry are guys uh, that we need them. We need them ongoing. Right. So there's no way we can have somebody work 24, 36 hours and then expect them to you know, go take an hour nap and be ready to go. It just doesn't work that way. Right. And most people aren't wired that way anyway. And so um, so that's the first thing is we try to set those ex expectations up front so people realize that. Um, and then for us, you know, you know, when we when we started, you know, a few years ago, we really just had, you know, one person and myself was kind of the and when I'm talking about started instant response. I mean, we've been around 18 years, but when we started kind of doing this stuff and both both that guy and myself, we could do that. And, um, you know, it was kind of crazy and probably beat us up more emotionally than we kind of probably <laughs> were there for. But, yeah. So since then we have staffed differently so we've actually increased our staff but we've also you know it's, it's kind of weird we've we used to have some really i would say some advanced engineer type type people 
but they were ended up doing a, a number of different things. So what we found is kind of, hey, we need to tear it out, right? So we need to have somewhat of a supporting staff if you think about it. So it's no different than a doctor in an operating room with, with supporting staff or whatever the case may be. So same kind of situation there. And so that's what we continue to do. Um, one of the things that has become a little more um, involved now than I would say if you if we were talking a couple of years ago would just be the interaction side of it. So before, whether it was this proxy log on or, or a ransomware event, you know, they were pretty much straightforward and pretty cookie cutter, right? Hey, they got in through, let's just say RDP, they hit your boxes, they got your backups, we're gonna have to decrypt and collect evidence and then do forensics. And that was pretty much the script. And it followed the script. Well, now with data exfiltration, it's a much different game. So because people's data is actually getting stolen, they might be able to recover, but now they have this threat of the data being published looming over their head. Um, and, and then what that data is. So, so sometimes, you know, most of the time that data is material. Let's just put it that way. The bad guys are no dummies. They're not going to go find a bunch of memes out there and say, this is what we got on you. I mean, it's literal financial documents or whatever the case may be. But just that, that in itself really stresses the heck out of the victim. And then they're really just banging, you know, banging the door or, or banging the desk, whatever you want to say, you know, for answers. And, and, and the thing about it is, is, there, I explained this, there's no magic button with the forensics process. I mean, that is a manual methodical process and our forensics analysts are, are very seasoned. They've been around for a long time and they they take very, they take a lot of pride in their work and that's good. Uh, I always, I, the way I kind of give people an analogy, it's very similar to an engineer when they put that seal on that diagram or that architectural document, engineering diagram, that means it's good, vetted, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And the same thing with the forensics work. So the problem is when you have an exfiltration situation and somebody wants it answers right away, you just can't give it to them. Additionally, forensic investigators, they're, they're very, they're very, again, very methodical. They're not there to take, they're, it's not in their nature. They haven't been trained that way to guess or to say, well, based on what I've seen out there on Twitter or Reddit, I think it's this. I mean, they don't do any of those types of things and thank goodness they don't. Uh, but that, but that's another thing. So, so before our forensic investigators were a lot of the times behind the scenes and really the only time you heard from them is at the end when they were providing their 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 results uh but now you know they're having to get on the phone and at least talk through things people want to hear them talk people people want to hear some type of progress you know what have you done how much of the data have you processed and all that kind of good stuff and that makes it really more stressful than ever before um, and it's just getting worse. I mean, the, the amount of data that these, um, these guys are taking is substantial. I mean, we can even use the exchange, you know, proxy log on thing. I mean, that's, that's exchange. And I mean, the, you could just hear it in people's voices and what they were saying. I mean, they were super concerned yeah. about how much email was taken. And, and I've always been an advocate and I say always, but for the last, I don't know, let's say 15, 20 years that, yeah, you got too much data. And email is the worst example of that. So when somebody, it's it's almost it's kind of weird. It's like um, I try to think of something that I could reference. I mean, it would be like somebody breaking into your house and finding your most treasured items from your that you were handed down from, let's just say, your deceased parents and grandparents, and that's the only thing they took. 
So it's the same kind of thing, especially with email. People kind of feel the pain then, especially if they feel all of their email. That's one thing if one mailbox and accounting was compromised. But if you're talking about, you know, the majority of their mailbox is what their fear was at the time before they had any answers, it's extremely stressful. And so you really have to, um, you know, de-escalate a situation. I mean, the people that I have, uh, that interface that do the majority of the interfacing from the beginning and kind of throughout the, what we would say the critical stage of these events. I mean, um, they've been around, you know, it's funny instant response hasn't been around a long, but it has just, you, it hasn't been, but these, these two gentlemen that I have to handle that, they've been doing this a very long time. And so they're really very equipped and very patient with it. Um, and you can kind of tell, but you know, you can also tell when, you know, they're kind of at their, they're like, Hey man, this is, this is more than, than, than we've ever had to handle. And, yeah. you know, you get some colorful language that you typically don't hear out of them and <laughs> type yeah. of stuff. So, you know, and so yeah. what we found is some ways to give those guys breaks um, and uh, figure out ways to just buy some time. Sometimes, I mean, I used to do all what they do a lot, uh, but sometimes, you know, I, I offer my hand, but they, you know, they're proud as well. And so you got, you know, and, and the, if they were sitting in an office with me, you know, I could tie them up, put a gag in their mouth and stick them in the closet on a pillow and tell them you're going to sleep whether you like it or not. Well, when we work virtual, I don't necessarily have that capability. Yeah. So, you know, but it's just, it's the step in, um, give them some time. Talk if a, if a customer is, uh, or victim, whatever you want to call them is being a little bit too rough or, or too hard. I can usually step in and back them off and, uh, sometimes I can do that in gentle ways and sometimes I have to be a little bit more, uh, assertive, but yeah, that's what you kind of do. I wish you could say, Hey, you have some playbook to deal with these types of situations, but then you have something like proxy log on. Um, is this stuff like kind of, kind of a rush, you know, for, 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 uh, incident response guys? No, it, 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 it has to be. So when, 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 and, and I, and, you know, that is, I think, it takes a special person. So like when we're interviewing people, especially for the incident response and we'll just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dilute the official first responders out there that are putting their lives on the line, but we'll call ourselves like cyber first responders. Cause that's the way we kind of describe ourselves in the interview process. I mean, we lay it out straight up in the interview process to these candidates, you know, and it's, it's amazing because the candidates we interview, uh, when, when they come to us and we've kind of filtered out the ones that we want to talk to, they got the they got the experience. They got what we need, and then we and, and they applied for the position. But you can't necessarily put in the job description what we just you know what we kind of <laughs> yeah. say verbally, right? Say, hey, look, everything might be smooth Friday. Everything's been good. You've been kicking back, you know, maybe uh, having a having a drink. You know, we're here in Texas, so that happens on Fridays. And we're in the office, you know, it was kind of nice. People chilled out and just hung out and stuff. But it's three fifty four Central Time and. You might get a call of a ransomware event of a you know a company of a thousand employees, and um, you 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 have to respond to that and you have to be ready and and so that's kind of the way it is and and so you know we we don't want to say everybody's on call twenty four by seven but that's not the case but if it if your number is called yeah you might be you know you, your weekend might change and what's interesting it, it's tough because we need people that are experienced. I mean, it's very hard. You're not going to take somebody with no experience and put them in this position because they're just going to fail. Um, you don't have the luxury necessarily to ramp people up over a six month period or year period, you know, um, especially in COVID world. That's made it more difficult. Yeah. Um, but you do have um, 
but they have to do that. And so what, what we have is these people go, well, that's not really the live. And it's almost the same sentence every time or the same response. That's not the lifestyle I was looking for. I was really looking for, you know, eight to five, you know, Monday through Friday type deal. Well, I don't know how you got that out of incident response and the stuff that we subscribe to you, but we're very upfront. So that kind of weeds them out very quickly. So we know that when we bring somebody on that we've gone over and above, above describing that stuff to them. So, yeah, I think the people uh, that, that are in there, that there's somewhat of a rush and maybe there's a rush in, in the middle, or maybe there's also a sense that, you, you know, there's a sense of, of completion or or helping or assisting somebody or knowing that you turned around a company i mean i remember you know it's not as much anymore because you know kind of the the ransomware world has changed but i remember you know just a couple of years ago we would get ransomware events and we could get those things turned around in less than a day and you talk about a company that says oh i'm completely dead in the water and by morning the next morning they walk into work they're back up and running as if nothing happened i mean that's a pretty cool sense of accomplishment and that type of thing and i also think one of the things that is is helpful, and, and let's just say, well, let's compare it to the managed service provider world. When you're an engineer in the managed service provider world, one of the things managed service providers strive is to have everything very standard from customer to customer to customer, right? The stack is the same, the hardware is the same, all that kind of stuff. So your job every day is going to be relatively the same. I mean, you may get some stuff escalated to you, but it's going to be the same old type of stuff. Well, in our world, every case is different right they may mm-hmm. have hardware that's a year old they may have hardware that's 10 years old they might have some stuff in the cloud all the stuff in the cloud they may have internal it and third party or multiple third parties or just a third party or somebody's cousin that's been there for 20 years helping them out with it stuff or a former yeah. developer and yeah. so i think that helps too right it, it, you're not going to see the same thing every day you're going to have new challenges and then you also get to educate the people. And I also think that it's a relationship deal because when you go in there and you do that for people and it ends on a positive note, you kind of created that long standing relationship, which goes a long way. I mean, from a business perspective, it's great too, but I mean, you know, people have been very open. Hey, you know, if, if they're up in New York next time and you're in New York, come on by, you know, we, my wife owns a restaurant or whatever, and we're going to treat you to dinner. I mean, all those types of things. I mean, if they're in the um, hospitality business, you know, that's that type of stuff. So, I mean, it's some pretty cool feelings that you don't get in maybe what you would just call a standard IT type job. Yeah. Um, those those internal IT folks, um, they must be um, uh, having a very tough time because, I mean, in most cases, it's just a handful of guys trying to, you know, do, um, you know, everything IT and not just uh, incident response. Um, you know, how... Even you, I'm, I'm assuming you've talked to many of them over the last few months. How, you know, how are they doing? Yeah, so you know, the internal IT is it's it's really interesting because you know you find out that you have certain situations where let's just say let's call it a one man show uh, or a one person show, right? Um, and they do a lot. And when it comes to one, and they and and and, and typically those people have been there a long time and and long time in IT terms. Let's just say you know, three, five plus years and even longer. And so everything that they've done, everything that's plugged in a wall in that particular organization is in their responsibility and they did it. And so, yeah, they take a pretty instant reputational hit right away. Um, You know, especially with smaller organizations where you don't have a lot of, (laughs) where you don't have a lot of layers of cushion between the IT person and, and, and whether it's the owner, the CEO, the, the principals, whatever you want to call it. 
that's that you can kind of tell that that's there. And it, it's, it's, it's interesting because there are people that you, you know, and talking and, and learning through the event and those types of things that they probably requested things to be done. You know, I need a new firewall or I need new hardware or we need to explore this or do whatever. And, you know, it's either put off or they get different priorities or whatever. So you can tell those situations and you feel for that person. On the other side, you have ones that just you're like, wow, you, you know, time has passed you by. And nice. really, you you really shouldn't be in this position at all because you are still doing things the same way you did five, six, seven years ago. And that just doesn't cut it. And uh, that's that's a little bit, you know, firewalls are a great example. It's amazing how um, neglected firewalls are overall right you either have firewalls that have been around way too long firewalls that haven't had their support or anything renewed firewalls that are proper improperly configured or firewalls or, or even under the misconfiguration they just don't have any logging turned on and you're like how you got to sleep in and you know you've been sleeping under a log or you take this proxy log on as an example i mean there are still people out there that didn't even realize that, that happened i'm like how, how do you do that how in this world being in an it position are you not connected enough to where you know this stuff is going on? And so, that, that yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, and we see fallout, right? We, you know, we see people either resign afterwards or or we've seen people get terminated in the middle. And then we've seen people who are like, I can't believe that you're still working there because, I mean, everything pointed to you just being a dummy. And uh, <laughs> it is. so, you know, it, and it, I'll tell you what, especially with, I would say that, on MSPs, and we'll throw them in that, that's a broad category. And I do a lot of work in the MSP community. And one of the things I try to do is not, they're not all the same, but let's just say you have a third party IT consultant, uh, and, and that is a one person show. And those seem, people seem the most attached to them. And the company has grown over time, and they still have that same third party person that helped them when they were five people or three people, and now they're 50 and they still have that person. And you're like, this this person is no way suited for your organization, what you're doing, you know, all the things that you got, your relationships with your clients. And you would think, boom. I mean, we've had situations where uh, that's happened and um, like their their third party IT person has said, hey, look, this is a ransomware event. Never talk to the ransomers. You'll never get your data back. Just move on. And then a month later, we get a call and we're like, what are you talking about? And then we're able to get their data back like the next day. And then you're like, well, I mean, what's going to happen with that IT person? Nope, he's still around and they're going to continue down the path of that. So it's frustrating on that side of things. It's um, it's an education. I, I've, I've even told the MSP community a lot. I'm actually surprised that there's not so many people looking more to, back to internalizing IT because of all the stuff that's going on and because they feel like it needs to be somebody internal to do that. We're just not seeing that. So I'm somewhat surprised by that, but I think a lot of people just still today do not understand the IT and then, and then security and how it's not all one and the same. And you can have a one dude out there doing all the stuff for you. Right. Right. Yeah. I have a, I have a good friend who um, is the IT director for an entire town up here in Massachusetts. And, uh, yeah, he's he's going a little crazy uh, dealing with all this stuff. Oh yeah, that's that's rough. I mean, th those those situations are really tough. I tell you, when you have when you're dealing with people that have to deal with, especially like let's just say municipal or whatever you want to categorize them as, I mean, they have they have budgets. I mean, like mm -hmm. hard 
but there is no, hey, I need I need to go get some money, right? Uh, I need it right now. No, <laughs> through yeah. they got to have counsel, they got to do all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That's it. That's that's painful, and and in the back of your mind, you got to say, that's what you signed up for. But in these types of situations, uh, there really should be something in that, you know, whatever that governance organization is, that structure is for these types of events. And so we, 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 we don't see that a lot. And even in the, even after it's done, um, you actually see, like, let's just say it's a, it's a mayor or other civic leader involved. I mean, they, 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 they are more engaged and willing to do stuff, but you might still have to wait six, seven months until that budget season rolls around. So that is tough. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so, you know, our, our core audience, you know, is, you know, IT people and uh, specifically, um, you know, we really try to target the internal IT. So, you know, what can, you know, they do to kind of, uh, you know, alleviate that stress and, uh, you know, get a, get, get a better grip on, on uh, all these vulnerabilities and compromises happening? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. So one thing is on the, on the vulnerability management side, let's just go back to that firewall example. You need to be in front of that. I think a lot of people think patching is enough. And what I kind of the way I explain patching wise and, and push the proxy log on the side because those patches were there to address a vulnerability. But most of the time patches necessarily aren't the one that's not why the bad guys get in. But once the bad guys do get in, the lack of patching does help them do things inside, right? So that's why patching is important. I mean, obviously, there are times where, you know, if you had an exchange server sitting on the edge, you need to patch that, obviously, and stay on top of that, especially now. Um, but on the um, on the other vulnerabilities, just people miss those, right? And and so firewall is a great example. I mean, if you're not at least subscribed to whoever your firewall vendor is and getting the email about stuff or logging in once a month and seeing what's going on, then you're doing you're actually just not doing your job. I mean, that has to be key and focus. You know, printers are a good example. We don't see a lot of printers necessarily being compromised. But there are a lot of printer updates out there that need to be done. But the way I explain it to you is typically printer updates are once every year and just do them. They might be low risk, but just do them and get them out of the way. Because if you don't, they're just going to continue to pile up over time. And then the one time it does happen, you're going to look really stupid. So I think uh, getting on top of vulnerabilities and, and, uh, and understanding the entire encompassing world that you're managing and making sure all of those vulnerabilities are addressed. Yes, should you test? or have a third party doing your testing for you to tell you how good you is, that's ideal. Um, you know, a lot of people want to try to, you know, a lot of IT people are very territorial and they want to bring all their tools in because they think they can do it all. And what we try to explain to them is why, why don't you have some help there? You know, you do this stuff, we'll check you, we'll provide you the results. We're not going to go out and publish it to the world that you're missing a hundred patches. We're going to tell you, you can go handle the patches and move on. So, so that's really important. And then on the incident preparation side, uh, that's, that's, I think there's a big gap there. I think incident response planning is, you know, there's decent disaster recovery planning out there, I would say. Um, maybe not decent architecture around disaster recovery, but I would say did, did you know, planning, they have a good idea what they're going to do, secondary location, all that stuff seems to be pretty, pretty done, pretty well done. But on the incident response from a cyber side, you just don't see it. You either see They've taken something they've downloaded from the internet or got from somebody and they've done some find and replace and that's their incident response plan. Or they've actually taken the time at some point and done it, but they haven't updated it in forever and things change and things flip. Uh, they haven't done a good job of, this is the number one thing I would say, and this is across 
across the board for the most part. They haven't done a good job identifying what is important, first, second, third, and fourth, right? I mean, we can get into technicals about RPO, RTO, all that kind of crap. But what I'm saying is just really, what is it? And a lot of times, especially in small organizations, it's um, one person in accounting needing access to QuickBooks so they can get payroll. If we have that, we can we can get stuff done and invoice and bill for the next three or four days. But they don't have that documented and they don't have a process to restore that. And, and, and so we have to go through that and kind of dig through that and ask a bunch of questions and figure out where all that stuff is. And if they had that stuff documented, email is another great example, right? Um, you know, if they have internal, if they're using internal exchange and not some, you know, 365 or other G Suite or something of that nature, um, a lot of times if you can just get email up, people are happy. And so there's really no plan around exchange and, and dealing with exchange in a, in a, a situation like that. It's, a, it's somewhat of a nightmare. A lot of times they don't realize it, but we open their eyes to that is, hey, you, what are you using for a, a email filter where well, we're using XYZ? Well, that you, your users can actually get in there and actually read and respond to emails within that filter. It may not be perfect, but at least you can do something minimally. And there's probably five key people that need to do that in your organization. Correct? Yes. Boom. Those types of things. So just, and then, and then the IT people, they don't ask those questions of their business. So they don't know, or they guess, or they think they know and that type of stuff. So even when they do tell us it's actually wrong. So I come from the banking world where we had to do that. And if you didn't do that, you got, you got in trouble big time with auditors, examiners, and the board and everybody else. So um, getting it to trickle down, but I mean that, yeah, planning and testing those incident response plans. And then when you make a change, making sure that's updated, making sure people in the other organization, not trying to live in your own little IT island. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are the things that if people did a lot, a lot better job of that, we'd be, we'd be in a lot better shape and it would shave off a considerable amount of time up front when somebody does have an issue. Mm. Awesome. Uh, Chris, thanks very much, man. I appreciate your time very much. You've been, You've been great. Uh, a lot of you, a lot of great answers, and uh, gave me a lot of good stuff to work with. Man, I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Zachary. No I appreciate problem. it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at zwcomo. Until next time.